Expose podcast. This podcast is for leaders at diverse levels and organizations around the world who are seeking to scale and transform their leadership to level up their business and to create an impact in the lives of people all around them. Business topics, trends, innovation, and the intersection with leadership is the focus. We enable success. I'm your host, Stephen Paul. In this episode today, we have the honor of a leader who has spent over a decade as an infantry officer in the British Army, followed by um, over two decades in the world of consulting in leadership and culture development. We welcome Lance Gerard Wright, performance coach and leader. Lance has held several roles previously and is part of several global advisory forums to advise senior leaders on diverse leadership and business topics. Lance brings a perspective from military leadership and connects that with the commercial world. Today, we will hear about intersects of that and how some of these military lessons can be applied in the commercial world and ways in which business performance, productivity and profit could be enhanced through the leadership skills from both environments. Welcome, Lance. How are you doing today? I'm very well. Thank you, Stephen. It's a pleasure to be here. Wonderful. We were just speaking just before the the, the podcast about um, the wonderful British summer weather that we're having today. Yes, well, um, as I say, it's, uh, you know, talk about making hay while the sun shines. The, the, the British have a propensity to always moan no matter what the conditions are. Um, so I am very much of a positive mindset and, uh, yes, in, enjoying the, uh, the opportunity to have a, a proper English summer. <laughs> Wonderful. So wh- where are you based, just out of curiosity, in the UK? So I am in Oxfordshire. Um, I, uh, after I left the army, I lived in London for many years. And then when I was uh, married and with young children, we decided that we would uh, move out to the country as a, 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 along with many, many other people, I think. Wonderful. Lance, you've got a brilliant profile. Tell us a little bit more about your personal and your professional journey. And um, inter- interesting to hear about uh, how you moved into military as well. Yes, well, it was interesting, Stephen, when I was, um, when I was, thinking about um, my conversation with you, I was thinking about, you know, that I'm always slightly wary of that word journey. It's all a bit Simon Cowell, but, but um, it is, it's a fair one to think back and look objectively, because I think all of those things shape us, of course, as in our development. And so I was brought up as a child of a military family. My father was a career soldier, which meant that, you know, when I get asked the question, oh, where are you from? People say, oh God, well, uh, Germany, Africa, Malaysia, Canada, you know, I grew up living all around the world which has its advantages and disadvantages. I think, you know, it, it gives you a very international perspective. Uh, and I think it makes you very adaptable because you're used to being thrown into new environments. So anyway, that was my background, uh, being a camp follower for my father. I then joined the, the family firm, if you like. Uh, I became a soldier myself um, because both my, my grandfather, and my uncle, it's a very military family. Although, on just a side note, on that side, my, my brother's an actor and my sister's a teacher, so by no means was it, you know, everyone says, oh, I bet it was room inspections and PT every morning in your household. Well, it absolutely wasn't. But um, so I decided for me, uh, the family firm was, uh, was where it was going to be at. Uh, I was sponsored through university by the army and then had a fantastic 11 years uh, where it did everything that I hoped it would do. So it gave me some fairly you know punchy if you like operational tools so um i was commanding soldiers on operations in the early 90s in uh, northern ireland and in bosnia uh, i had the privilege of being posted out to mozambique for six months where i was training the newly formed mozambican army right after the end of the mozambican civil war 
uh, I was asked to return to the Royal Military Academy Santos, which is where we, uh, we train all our young officers. I was asked to return there as an instructor. And then I finished my time as a serving officer as a staff officer for a senior member of the Royal Family. So what's called an equerry, which is a sort of fairly unusual, outdated term, but basically was planning and arranging and delivering um, royal engagements. So, you know, it was a very, very broad career. Uh, and as I say, looking back on it, I can't, I can't really think of anything else that I, you know, I wish could have happened within my career because it gave me a very, very broad experience. I then went fairly swiftly into the world in which I now find myself, the world of uh, leadership development. And that's where I've been, as you made reference to, for the last sort of 20 or so years. Yeah. Lance, um, thank you very much for that uh, that broad overview. And um, it's, it's interesting, as you were describing, you know, that you've lived in different countries. And, you know, when people ask you where you're from, you, you, you know, I, I, I get the same question sometimes. And I've lived in many countries. And sometimes I'm actually quite, you know, quite stumped sometimes, you know, as to how to respond to that because, well, I'm Canadian, I'm also British, and uh, I've lived in, you know, four continents. Okay, well, where are you born? Where are you closely aligned to? You know, so there's 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 a bit of a, you know, a a, a pause there as you <laughs> just come to. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I was I was sent back. You know, the, this was the seventies. I was sent back to boarding school. Um, so although I, I, my base was in all those different countries, I was educated in the UK. So I suppose that gave me my kind of my cultural reference points and my friendship groups and all the rest of it. So I do feel very, you know, I do feel British, of course. Yeah. And, and professionally, Lance, just uh, coming back to, uh, you know, to the military side of things as well. When, when was that pivotal moment? I, rec I you know, appreciate and recognize that the family was um, you know, within that military sphere. Personally, for you, um, did it just come naturally to you to just join? I see. Okay. Yeah. Yes, I think it did. I mean, I can't remember, you know, a kind of a damaging moment where I thought this is the moment because I was always playing soldiers growing up. I was living in and around barracks. It's a very active lifestyle. I'm, you know, I love my sport uh, and that's absolutely integral to the, to the military way of life. And it, it was just, it was just, you know, it was the, the air that I breathe. And in fact, the way that the, the British army uh, organizes regimental system is very often certainly in terms of the infantry is sort of geographical but that means you do get families and sons of and 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 of course what it meant that was by the time i joined as an officer the senior soldiers in the regiment i had actually known since i was five years old you know my father commanded the the regiment that i joined the royal anglian regiment um and so it really was a a, a family organization lance you're doing some exciting work these days um tell us more about you know, the performance aspect, the leadership aspect, and uh, let's delve a little bit more into that. Sure, well, I think I, I, I got the bug, if you like, for, for, for this kind of work during my tour as an instructor at Santos. Now, obviously, while I was there, uh, I was instructing in all sorts of technical, you know, map reading and, and everything else. But of course, the, the whole spine, the whole point of Santos is it's a leadership academy. And it's quite interesting this is something I refer back to when I'm talking to commercial organizations these days, that the way that Santos operates is it will take young men and women who have been identified as having the potential to be leaders, and it will train them as leaders first and foremost before letting them anywhere near any soldiers. And in fact, yeah. you don't have any technical cat badge, if you like, expertise whilst you're at Santos. Everyone wears the same cat badge. And then when you leave Santos, you go up and learn how to be 
a royal engineer or artillery or helicopter pilot or signal or whatever it is whereas of course in most organizations you prove yourself in the technical ability that your company is responsible for delivering whether it be selling shampoo or writing code or whatever and if you're the best shampoo salesperson you get made manager of the shampoo sales team and people expect that job a equals job b whereas of course it absolutely doesn't so what santos does is it turns that on its head makes these people leaders first and foremost gives them the basic grounding the competencies of obviously being able to operate in a military environment but the army thinks that leadership is such a key skill that actually we're going to absolutely invest a year's worth of highly developed uh, and proven training in our leaders before we then let them be a soldier so so i think that's where i got the bug for doing this kind of work seeing the impact that could be had on you know, young people in that instance, but clearly in, in industry, we work with all levels. Um, and then being able to think about those sorts of skills that I learned not only as a practical leader of, of soldiers and operations, but then subsequently being able to look at, if you like, more objectively at the world of leadership and to see what that read across was into the commercial world. Do you find that there is a big difference in practice between the commercial world and the military world when it comes yes. to leadership yes of course yes yes there is however a very very common um perception i suppose that i have often had when i've been talking about my background to people in the commercial world is they sort of slightly suck their teeth and say look we get it you know the military do leadership really really well we understand that we've all seen you know war movies and saving private ryan whatever but the kind of situations in which you find yourselves are extreme uh, and therefore bear little or no relevance to me trying to lead my team of, of, uh, of coders. But actually, of course, the challenge that I give them back is um, whilst I can see why you might say that, and yes, some of, the, some of the circumstances that the military find themselves in are extreme, the skills that are required, the behaviours that are required, mm. leadership is leadership and teamwork is teamwork, and no matter what field, you operate in and so that and that's why I, I uh, you know I believe that, that there are things that the military can um, or that there are things that the commercial world can learn from. Yeah. So in the in the in the commercial world um, you know we talk about different leadership styles and um, you know we've got the transformational style we've got the well the authoritative style the situational leadership style and so forth how in, from a style perspective how how do you how do you how do you see that operating within military and and i want to bring people like yourself who have seen both worlds how do people adjust to styles and lead in a commercial world well there's there's a couple of there's a couple of points i'd like to like to touch on in that and, and the first one is that i think everyone has a mental map of what military leadership is like and that is based probably on you know we go back to our war movies and our you know the, the cultural references that we see on tv and everywhere else um and i always use the example i i, I did some work for emi records many years ago and i'm a very passionate musician and, and i love my music and they always used to say to me these good folk from emi would say that whenever we go anywhere people say oh you work in emi you know straight away oh i bet they all know robbie williams and kylie i bet they get you know they get loads of free music they probably you know have a very rock and roll lifestyle well some of that's true but of course the music industry was probably the first to suffer from digital well i say suffer from to feel the effects of real digitization where 
revenue streams were completely changed because people weren't buying CDs at 15 quid a pop anymore. They were being able to download and stream and all the rest of it. And so the music industry is quite an interesting case study. But the point is that that mental map that people had is very, very common, I think, for military leadership. And whilst there are aspects of it which are true, that is to say there are situations in which we have to do a big, strong right arm, just do this and do it now because it needs to be done and don't, you know, don't, don't argue with me because it needs to happen. Actually, those sorts of situations are rare. And actually, the antithesis of most people's perceptions of military leadership is that it actually is very much about empowerment, trust and delegation and feeding that empowerment down to the lowest possible level because we have to, because the radios break or the leader is injured or taken out or, you know, et cetera. So people have to be empowered to make and take decisions, seize opportunities when they can, because otherwise the whole thing just grinds to a halt. Yeah. And, and Lance, how are, you, how are you bringing that bit of awareness to the commercial world? Well, there, there are some structures which the army uses to great effect. Uh, and there's some very, very simple and powerful concepts that we talk about. And there's this, uh, there's this philosophy, if you like, this approach to leadership, which we call mission command. And mission command mm -hmm. is very simply specifying an effect or an output or an outcome giving people some boundaries in terms of both resources and perhaps if necessary geographical boundaries certainly in the military but it's all about you know don't go right of here don't go left of there here's what we want you to achieve and why and then delight me with your ingenuity and within that two key phrases the first one is what we call one up and two up so that is in the military, every mission briefing will have a very, very clear enunciation of both what your boss's intent is, but your boss's mm -hmm. boss's intent as well. So you have this very, very clear organizational line of sight and context. And the second is that every mission statement has to have, by law, if you like, um, what we call a unifying purpose, which is the three words in order to dot dot. So every time any soldier is launched on an operation, he or she will know exactly where they fit into the bigger plan, not just their boss's intent, but their boss's boss's intent. And they will have fixed in their mind, what's the in order to, what's the bigger picture, why are we trying to do this? And I think all of those concepts read across very, very easily into the commercial world. Yeah. And, and do, you, do, you, do you find um, that there are biases within existing commercial executives on people you know military staff that are coming to work in the commercial world um and and what kind of uh you know gaps that they might you know find in terms of uh, yeah, I think, fitting into I think, that into that world. again i think we're, we're we're feeding back into that stereotype of you know the you know the, the shouty sergeant major you horrible yeah with, you know you know but actually my experience has been in the last certainly in the last sort of 10 years or so that the veteran community have really done themselves proud in terms of establishing uh, a military background as you know kind of reliable dependable will deliver shows up on time looks the part you know what i mean all those kind of brand things which we absolutely take i think for granted in the military but i think the the brand now of uh, of veterans in the military community in the business world is is much more positive than it was and i think we've we're starting to erode that kind of that stereotype of the, the shouty sergeant major and we're starting to see adaptability resilience reliability i can definitely attest to that i mean i used to work for a large organization where i was part of um 
this offering to bring in military staff into the right. organization and you know yeah. building the framework to do that so that's it's definitely there um but Lance, keen to hear about more of the uh, the solutions that you offer as a, as a as a leader to to organizations well i've been privileged in working both very broadly across a number of different sectors from um, the olympic rowing team uh, and other sporting teams through to large financial institutions and also at very broad levels as well so some sort of uh, youth programs 15 16 year olds and graduate programs through to you know early years mid to senior and then c-suite programs as well so um, it's a very very broad remit that i've been uh, privileged to be able to undertake in the last 20 years in the last sort of two or three years um, focusing much more on the sort of exco c-suite level and but actually what i found that gets most traction is some of these concepts that we've been talking about which are not rocket science and they are not you know the latest Harvard Business Review blinding theorem business school stuff. It's stuff that's been proven to work. But the the what I've discovered is that a bit like I was talking about the Santos model earlier on, where we will cram development uh, and, and leadership into people at the start of their careers, is that very often when I talk to some of these senior leaders and ask them how much development they've actually had, they can sometimes count it on the fingers of one hand. Mm. Yeah, it's it, it's true, and I I I like the way you positioned it uh, with Santos as well. I mean, like leaders first, and then you go into the realm of the military ecosystem. Um, Lance, tell us a little bit more about um, an experience or a story uh, that comes to your mind as a as a as a senior leader currently or previously that resulted in a highly positive outcome. Well, it's interesting you say that. I, I'm I'm just um, I'm just finishing some work for a large construction company where I've been a, a performance coach, and and one of the uh, one of the things that I was privileged to be able to do in the early days of joining the company was to sort of very much get out and, and walk the shop floor. Uh, I wanted to understand, you know, get a get a fingertip feel for the organisation what it did, and I wanted to speak to the people on the front line. And those conversations were really, really interesting. And because I was, you know, obviously new and was not a kind of a, a, a company man, if you like, I think I got some very honest answers in terms of what some of the friction points were. And I was in the privileged position of having access to the CEO. And I remember after my first sort of three or four weeks, having a long conversation with him where I fed back uh, some of this information and he sucked his teeth and said, gosh, well, you know, that's news to me. And it was a classic example for me of, that sort of concrete layer, and, and we've seen it in so many organizations where, you know, um, bad news doesn't necessarily, and it wasn't necessarily bad news, it was just, it was news that enabled the CEO then to make some, some decisions, um, but he hadn't had that information before. And I think what was interesting was being in that position where he was able to say, right, well, this is what's actually going on. And it reminded me of another, another soundbite I had. I worked with a very senior uh, leader in a global investment bank who said to me, um, the day that I stop getting bad news on a daily basis is the day that I know my communication has failed because there is not a day that goes by in my size of business when there isn't some bad news. You know what I mean? So people who are trying to sort of cover up, say nothing to see here, it's all fine, thinking that, you know, I don't want to be seen to be uh, showing weakness or not doing my job. But of course, that can have disastrous consequences. Yeah. 
Yeah, very interesting. Lance, can you share with us your views on post-pandemic, how leadership has maybe changed or what you're experiencing, how it's, how it's transformed? Yes, one of, the, um, one of the questions that I like to ask when I'm in a room with senior leaders is what, what's the offer? And by that, I mean, what is it that are going to make the, or going to attract the fresh young talent that is crucial to the survival of any business. What is it about you or your company that is going to attract them as opposed to your competition? Because we all know that the world of work has changed um, irrevocably, you know, hybrid, and all of that, you know, dust is still settling. But I think that how companies seek to establish culture going forward is going to be a massive challenge because I think. There's no doubt about it, and there is research to prove that those who joined during lockdown, for instance, do not have the same experience, do not have the same culture, do not have the same feel as those who've been you know, in, a, in a physical workplace. That's not to say that the physical workplace is a be-all and end-all and everyone has to be in office all the time, but I think the real challenge for leaders is this idea of sustainability, of course, it's on everybody's lips. You know, what is this next generation looking for and i think the things they're looking for are very much more along the lines of um, purpose importance uh, being able to connect what they do on a daily basis to some sort of positive outcome as opposed to just you know checking in and, and cashing the check at the end of the month yeah it, it's it's very true many of the executives and even in the even at a board level they don't think about these things um, personally and even for the company as well and just making those questions quite revealing asks the you know the the big the big questions there for them to actually reflect on and 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 how they want to position themselves going forward. So yeah, it's it's definitely very good questions that you're uh, you're bringing to the table. Uh, and and I think you know this word purpose is on, is on a lot of people's lips at the moment, yeah. and for, for good reason. And when I think back to my time in the army, and I've now actually been out of the army a lot longer than I was actually in it, but mm -hmm. I suppose because of my DNA and my background, I still sort of. I still do feel very much, you know, at my core, I still, I, I suppose, I still feel, I still feel military. But that was one thing that I remember it being very easy to put my finger on why am I here? Uh, you know, to, 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 to be able to enunciate or have a clear idea of my purpose and what I was doing, and more importantly, how my daily actions were making a difference. And that allowed me to have, you know, I'm all prop and self-esteem and respect and all those things that are, that are so important. And I sometimes think, I mean, I, I, you know, I clearly won't name any names, but I was in, in a room with some very senior leaders of a, of a global financial institution a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And I said, just, just talk to me, you know, can you, can you summarize what you think your purpose is? And there was some fairly embarrassed shuffling of feet and looking at the floor and, you know, people looking from one side to the other to try and, you know, get a consensus in the room. And there wasn't and I just thought for, for an organization of your size, you know, that that's a shame. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, very good that you're bringing that clarity to, 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 to leaders. Um, tell us a little bit more about some life lessons or, you know, leadership lessons that you've learned, which has transformed, you know, the way that, uh, that you lead or operate and, and that have benefited other companies. I know you touched on a few examples. Yeah, absolutely. Here. Well, well, I have to say, um, you know, the, 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 the good old question, who's your most admired leader? Well, for me, that's a very easy answer. It's my father. And my father, I'm very proud to say, was a, was a very successful army officer. He reached the rank of uh, 
major general, two-star general, and was a career soldier. And I had the privilege of watching him operate, both while he was serving and subsequently. And I think the thing that I took away from him was this absolute fundamental interest in people. And it's something that the army takes very, very seriously. And it is taught and instructed at Santos that knowing your people is absolutely crucial to your role as a leader. Because actually in, in the military, there's a practical reason for it. Because when the bullets are flying or you know, when the pressure's really, really on, you have to know what this person is going to respond to. And it may be a friendly, a consoling word. It may actually be the metaphorical, you know, kick up the backside or a shaking of the shoulders. But you're not going to know that unless you know them intimately and you can look in the whites of their eyes and understand what it is they need from you. And that goes back to the Santos motto, which is three simple words, serve to lead. And that means military leaders are always um, taught to think of themselves as the servants of the people that they do, not the other way around. Of course, they achieve by getting other people to achieve. And I think my father was the absolute epitome of that. He was fantastic with people, um, no matter you know what level or grade they were. And I remember, very sadly, he's not with us anymore, but at his memorial service, um, we had many, many of his old soldiers. And one of them came up to me and said, oh, I'll always remember your father. You know, he was my boss in 1972, I mean, way back when. Uh, and he said, and, and I hadn't seen him for many, many years, but he saw me at a reunion uh, and he came up to me, warmly shook me by the hand, called me by my name, turned around to my wife, knew her name as well. Small detail, massively impactful. I think people need to feel that they are important. Yeah. Lance, tell us a little bit more about you. What, what does a day in the life of Lance look like? Well, I am privileged, I think, in as much as uh, no two days are the same. Uh, and for me, an ideal day has a little bit of, um, you know, relationship management. Uh, if I'm working on an account, I like to check in with my clients and, you know, find out how they're doing. Um, I do love being on my feet in a room full of engaged and enthusiastic people, which is why Santos was such a highlight for me, because dealing with the young men and women there, you know, their, their sense of purpose was clear, their commitment and enthusiasm was clear. And it was, you know, you, you were sort of, you were preaching to the converted, if you like. Um, so I do love to be able to feel that my actions are having an impact on a, on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and perhaps I'll be doing a, a bit of design, thinking about, you know, what next for a, a particular company? What am I think they're the challenges that are becoming coming down the road for them on a slightly more strategic level? But also then, you know, picking up the phone as I have been um, for the last year or so as a coach, uh, and talking to somebody perhaps at a slightly lower level in the organization and talking to them about you know how to delegate or just some of these actual practical skills that I think are very very useful for people. And Lance you mentioned a number of uh, you know topics you know sustainability and so forth but is there anything else that's on your mind uh, topics or trends that you feel impact you know, leaders of companies and boards and, you know, their journeys towards actually becoming relevant. Yeah, I think um, certainly one that I've heard a great deal about is this whole, uh, you know, the AI, the, the prevalence of AI and, and what's that going to mean and, you know, tech convergence and what that's going to look like. But I, I saw a phrase the other day, which was talent trumps tech. And it's a bit like culture eats strategy for breakfast. It's one of these things which I can see being, you know, banner headlines across the, the doorways of places. But I do think that technology is clearly coming on leaps and bounds. But I absolutely believe that in terms of 
decision making and what it feels like to work for an organization will still be uh, determined by the style of leadership that is there. And a, and a friend of mine always talks about, uh, you know, a classic example is a school where they say it's binary, you know, good head equals good school, bad head equals bad school. And I think, you know, you, that, that's a pretty simple summary of, of the power of leadership. I like that. Lance, what's the next big business or personal adventure for you? Good question. Um, I am uh, I, I'm now sort of juggling a couple of different opportunities that have, that have, uh, have, have come across my uh, come across my path. Um, I, I work with this company called Armstrong Wolf uh, as a uh, as an, an advisor, uh, and then maybe um, some more work. In fact, I'm sure I'll be doing more work with them uh, in the medium to long term for sure. And there are some other um, individual consulting opportunities which are fascinating as well. But it is interesting when I think about my own purpose, um, and you know, clearly now is not the time to share my in, entire biography. But in terms of the way that my attitude was formed, uh, it just so happened that in my early twenties there were there was sort of a fair degree of personal tragedy. Uh, you know, a great friend of mine. I was at Sheffield University in the nineteen eighties, and a great friend of mine was killed at the Hillsborough football disaster. My sister was then very sadly killed in a motorbike accident. And then I lost a great friend on our tour of Bosnia in 1994. So by the time I was in my late 20s, I'd already had those kind of, you know, resilience forming type uh, of experiences. And I think that very much informed my outlook in terms of what I think is important and what I look for. And there's a phrase that I often use for uh, certainly the youth programs that, I, that, I, uh, that I've worked on, which is um, success is getting what you want, but happiness is wanting what you get. And I think that philosophy is a very, very powerful one. You know, happiness is not a future event. Uh, and the whole, you know, being in the moment, being present, I know that we, we read and see uh, and hear about it all the time. But to me, that's something that I, that I, that I try and maintain is that, that innate sense of, you know, am I contributing? Am I able to look myself in the mirror on a daily basis and feel that I'm doing something that matters to me and matters to other people? Yeah. No, wonderful. We're coming to a close very shortly. Share with us any uh, any closing messages or a challenge to other leaders on any of the topics that you uh, you're driving. Well, I, I think uh, you know it, it it feeds back to that subject of or that topic of, of sort of, of happiness and you know because all of this is wrapped into well being and mental health, which is so important. It's the phrase that I heard the other day, and it, you know, I'll be happy when dot dot dot. And it's when I get the promotion, when I get my new car, when I've gone on holiday or, you know, when, when. And, and I think that, you know, that, that's chasing the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. I think people just need to perhaps practice a little bit more of uh, um, introspection and thinking, what is it that is going to motivate me and keep me happy on a daily basis? And I, and I come back to that idea of, of looking at myself in the mirror and, and sleeping with a clear conscience at night. Well, wise words from Lance. Thank you very much for being with us today and sharing your journey, but also describing some of those um, uh, areas of military and commercial leadership aspects and some of these topics. Thank you very much. My pleasure, Stephen. Thank you very much indeed. Wonderful. Okay. Okay. Okay, folks. Thank you very much for listening in and stay tuned for our next episode with another guest leader who will be sharing insights on business succession and what that means to our Stay tuned.